Welcome back to Deep Lorable, a podcast where a couple of friends dredge the internet for the deepest lore. I'm Michael Bastine. And I'm Billy Staples. And we definitely made that work in one take. Editing Mike is going to make sure that that uh, that the other takes that definitely don't exist don't get into the reco- into the uh, official episode. It's been a hot second, Billy. Yeah, it has been. We uh we we took a little bit of a break. That was how many months now? I don't I don't remember. Had been at least three. Uh, was our last release four? Wait, hang on. I've got Spotify pulled up on the other. Wasn't the last one we did? Yes, I am subscribed Easter? to my own podcast. Uh, last one was like- FM Radio in August. Okay. September, October, November, December. Wow, that's four months. Four months. Four months. Four months. A lot of time to think and take a little bit of a break. A much needed break. Oh boy. Well, uh, welcome back to this to this podcast that we keep stumbling our way through. We've found yet another topic that's um well, it's interesting. We're trying something a little different with our with our topic for today. Uh, our topic for today is it's a little bit of a mashup, but it's basically Frankenmuth, Michigan. Billy, for the people who don't live in the very specific part of Michigan that is uh, a well aware of Frankenmuth, give our give our listeners a rundown. So. God, we're right. All right. <laughs> I know, I I, right? I guess I guess I just jump into cuz I have the history of it written down. Well, you're you are the history nerd in this podcast. I guess I should just jump into that then. I mean, yeah, basically cuz the only thing you can really do for a rundown on a city is talk about how the city got founded. Yeah. Mm, are you going to try and pronounce the German words? I'm going to try. <laughs> and if it if I end up butchering it, then future Mike will have to just edit it out. Uh, well, what am I going to replace it with? I'm going to replace it with the Google uh, voice pronunciation guide thing. I'm just going to download those audio clips. So we'll just get Microsoft Sam going Nuremberg and Bremerhofen. I will. I will try my best as I've taken half a year German, so I... Oh, shoot. I have a vague understanding of how to pronounce their words. You've studied a limited amount of the language. So the idea of Frankenmuth, Michigan, was originally due to a missionary, a German missionary named Frederick Weinken, who was working in Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. And around 1840, he wrote an appeal to the uh, Lutherans... Lutherans? The Lutherans in Germany for help telling them that the German pioneers were having all these hardships and they had a lack of churches, pastors, and schools. This appeal struck the heart of one Wilhelm Lohe. Lohe. Loki? I'm trying my best here. Lohe. Lohar. L-O-E-H-E. Who was the pastor of a country church in Mittelfranken, the kingdom of Bavaria. Now, there is another word there, and I, when researching this, attempt to pronounce it a couple times and even used Microsoft Sam to help me. We'll have future Mike edit it in because <laughs> I know I'm going to butcher it. 
type it out. Maybe I can spell it or spell it, pronounce it. I could probably spell it if I read uh, it. That's w- while well, you're digging that word up. Yeah, I, I kind of was also looking through the history of Frankenmuth and holy crap, some something did not want them to make it to where they ended up. <laughs> Our sources. The the immigrants that eventually settled and formed Frankenmuth were traveling, you know, by standard old school travel, you know, foot, wagons. There were trains at this point. Nuendetelsau. Yeah, we're just going to stick with the kingdom of Bavaria. Yeah. (laughs) We're just going to stick with the kingdom of Bavaria is where they came from. At any rate, they get on a boat, the Caroline specifically. Uh, So I guess a ship, technically. You know, we're having a good time. Some of them are getting married. But... Pretty much right from the beginning, the captain was steering the ship drunk and ran into a sandbank. Ooh. On, like on the Wesser River. And because of just winds and storms, just because of weather conditions, they had to sail around Scotland instead of through the English Channel. Which, I don't know exactly how many days that added on to their, their trek, but when your travel main traveling method is by air-powered boat... Ah, it's hailing outside. That's good audio. But when your main traveling method is air-powered boat, not airship, mind you, standard sailing vessel, uh, a couple of days is not good. Yeah, especially because back then you'd had to, you had to pack food for the trip. But you had to balance it with the weight of the ship. Yeah, you couldn't, more often than not, you, you had to kind of get that nice, Goldilocks area where your boat isn't too heavy, but you're having enough food to reasonably live with some extra margin. And then you have the added problem of your passengers decided to get married. And now initially that's not a problem, but when your trip can last over nine months. Yeah. Your rationing has to account for some extra passengers. But, you know, it didn't end at the weather conditions making them sail around Scotland because the weather conditions continued as they journey across the Atlantic Ocean. And then they end up colliding with an English trawler. Oh. And again, we're dealing with storms the whole way across. But the winds driving the ship north into icebergs and dense fog slows them by an additional three days. It's damp, it's overcrowded. We're talking classic, like, bad news scenario as far as traveling by boat goes. Eventually, they transfer from their sailing vessel to a steamboat. So I guess I guess the, the era that we're looking at is not quite as, as ye olde as I was thinking. Which I suppose if they have trains, I, I should have taken that into account. Of course, naturally, they're train collided with a coal train and another well they took another steamboat they didn't collide with another uh, their train did not collide with a steamboat that would have been a heck of a train but good heavens like they just it's collision after collision after storms after sickness it's like whoa somebody does not want frankenmuth to get made yeah where did we go from there billy so lohi the pastor Mm-hmm. from the kingdom of Bavaria. He ended up writing to a pastor of a Swabian settlement in Michigan to recommend a site for the mission colony. Mm-hmm. The approved location was along the Cass River. Mm-hmm. He decided to name it Frankenmuth, a combination of the German word Franken, representing the province of Franconia, 
in the kingdom of Bavaria, and the German word Muth, meaning courage. Thus, the city's name, Frankenmuth, translated to English, is Courage of the Franconians. You know, after a journey like that. After a journey like that, I think that's a justified name. Yeah, frankly. Ah, Franconians. Frankenmuth, though, is is one heck of a one heck of a city, and that's ignoring like the whole Bronner's situation. But Frankenmuth itself is a like their their vibe is very much sort of Christmas and German oriented, which makes sense considering their, you know, Germanic origins and everything. But everything, everything in there is, is based around like, it's kind of the same way that Petoskey is like a tourist town where everything is, is, you know, museums and quote unquote cultural foods. And I mean, I guess, I guess Petoskey isn't exactly cultural foods, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. They have a lot of Bavarian themed, you know, restaurants and attractions and, uh, you know, they do your your classic corn mazes and stuff in the uh, in the fall times. I think, honestly, Bronner's is probably the biggest attraction in Frankenmuth. There's definitely a lot of stuff to do, and I'm sure the Frankenmuth. Anyway, I'm sure they're very pleased that we're, we're going on about how uh, Frankenmuth's got all kinds of fun stuff. Speaking of Bronner's, those that aren't aware, it's a Christmas retail store in Frankenmuth. Which sounds boring. I want to preface this. Christmas retail store is one of the weirdest combinations of words, and we do a podcast specifically about weird things. Now, the fun part on this comes in it being promoted as the world's largest Christmas store. And I don't think that's wrong. I've looked at the math. I'm inclined to say it's not wrong. What was it? Because it was like 1.5 football fields long. So the actual plot of land that it is on is 27 anchor acres of land, and the building is 7.35 out of them. A football field is 1.3 acres. 27 divided by 1.3. Basic math. All right. So we're looking at about roughly uh, 20 plus football fields. Yeah. Would fit in this in this, I, I don't know why everyone likes to measure things in football fields. I think it's just because everybody's looked at a football field. I'm like, wow, that's big. American football. American football. You, not- yeah, that's true. We should, especially when we're talking about German stuff. Are soccer, are soccer fields the same length as a football field? I feel like they are because. A soccer field is 1.7 acres. Ha ha. Take that football. You lose by half an acre. Yeah, a soccer field is a little bigger than a football. It's interesting. That is interesting. Why don't we? Oh, I know why we don't measure things by soccer field instead of football fields. Because America. Yeah, because it gets a little confusing. Chili dogs. We have to refer to uh, football here in the U.S. as American football because despite being called football, you use your hands. Yeah, football is much more like hand egg. And I'm sad that we don't call it hand egg, to be honest. It's not a ball. You don't use your, well, I mean, you do use your feet. There's like one, this this just goes to show how much we know about football. There is one technique by which you use your foot in football to it's maneuver kicking, the ball. Kicking for a field goal. And it's kicking for a field goal. What's a field goal? That's a question for another episode. <laughs> Maybe we'll do an episode on football. The deep, football the deep lore or... of football. What's the deep lore of football? That's got to be, we got to have to like dive into like specific people at that point. Well, what tinfoil hat moment can we have about, we're getting off topic. Christmas. We're getting extremely Christmas, off topic. Christmas, Necco Wafers question. What did those two have in common? 
Christmas and Neko wafers? Correct. I'm assuming Neko is spelt with a K. No. Have you never no? heard of Neko wafers? I've heard of them. I don't know if I've ever actually seen one. Okay. Well, you probably, I mean, well, I don't know. They went out of business, I think. No, Neko wafers here. Google search N-E-C-C-O space wafers. Oh, no, I've seen, okay, yeah, I've had them. Yeah, they're they're chalk, basically. Yeah, it's- They're not great, all things considered. They are the, they are larger and inferior Smarties. Fight me. They're Smarties that have been put through a metal compactor. They claim to have different flavors. Now, I haven't had Necco wafers enough to actually say that they don't come in different flavors, but, uh... Now that, now that I'm seeing what they are, I've had them quite a number of times because mm-hmm. my grandmother liked to hoard them mm-hmm. at one point. Yes. From my experience, there is only three distinct different flavors. Are you sure it's not like the Fruit Loops debacle? Which, for those of you who don't know, go watch our our Fruit Loops episode. We did a Fruit Loops episode. Watch. We did a f- listen to listen. Listen. Listen to our Fruit Loops episode. I forgot we did a Fruit Loops episode. It's, it's technically an episode on Toucan Sam. It's te- technically Toucan Sam, but we can't not talk about the cereal when we're talking about the cereal's mascot. This is true. Going back to what I was saying, I was going to make a joke. The three distinct flavors that I've noticed are chalk, chalk but with a hint of lime, and chalk but in a wine cellar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no. So, do you know what NECA wafers and Christmas have in common? I do have a limit, a very limited knowledge, but isn't there in, I think it's Christian, in Christian faith, isn't, isn't there some sort of wafer involved? <laughs> I was curious what you were going to come up with. No, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, you are thinking about the practice of communion, which the Catholic faith works a little differently. I think they have like an actual bread that is broken, but yeah, no, there's, there's like a little communion wafer which is a little crisp looking thing uh but no the connection between neko wafers and christmas is almost nothing except wallace brawner the founder of brawner's the christmas very large retail store got his start helping his aunt as a clerk at a grocery store and his reward for helping at the grocery store as a clerk was a large package of Necco wafers. <laughs> now I ask you, Billy, what actual child is excited about a giant pack of Necco wafers? Aside from like seven-year-old me, I don't know. I mean, we gotta we gotta roll back a little bit. I don't remember exactly what age Wallace, uh, Mr. Bronner, Mr. Christmas, uh, as he's known in the Bronner's advertising campaigns. They call him Mr. Christmas. That's, I, I don't know what you want from me. No, I, looking at the flavors now for Necco, the flavors in air quotes yes, for Necco. the quote unquote flavors. Transported in a container with oranges. We have lime, lemon, and chocolate, mm-hmm. and orange. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon, mm-hmm. wintergreen, um, clove. Oh gosh, I forgot there was a clove. I knew there was one that was weird, I forgot there was a clove-flavored Necco wafer. The last one, which strikes me weirder than the clove, is licorice. Now, I would agree with you, but they already included wintergreen in an assortment of fruit and chocolate flavors. Like, mint is not a flavor you mix with those. I'm sorry, you can mix chocolate and 
orange and it, you know, comes out okay. You can mix cinnamon and chocolate or cinnamon and clove and it's like, okay, I get it. You mix mint with any one of those flavors and it's just bad. Except chocolate. Hang on, I've, I forgot chocolate goes good with just anything. I'm looking at these and like the only one that I distinctly remember actually tasting was the mint one. The rest of them did just taste like chalk. Well, yeah, because the mint, because mint is the only flavor that stands out amongst chalk. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to turn this into a hate on Necco wafers podcast. Aside from all the hate, I I do actually genuinely like Necco wafers. They're not my favorite candy in the world. They are strangely addictive. Like they're good enough that if someone puts them in front of me, I'm gonna bound to eat them same with like those little strawberry hard candy things hey billy want to go in half seas on a 26 pound gummy python that you can get from walmart for 162 bucks a with what money b i don't like gummy anything what no yeah how do you not like gummy things not like, and I'm not talking about like Swedish fish because those get caught in your teeth. And again, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm generating a lot of uh, hate for various I candy actually, dislikes. I just don't like candies that get caught in my teeth. I, I actually like Swedish fish. Oh, my arch nemesis! This is the start of my villain arc. I don't like gummy worms. Sour gummy worms are one of my favorite non-chocolate candies. How could you not like sour? How could you not like gummy worms? I don't like Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids have the same problem as Swedish Fish for me. And also, we did the Sour Patch Kids episode, and now I'm traumatized yeah. from them. My problem with, like, sour things is, I don't want to say that I'm sensitive to them, but after, like, two, my the roof of my mouth just starts Feeling like there's a hole being burned through it. <laughs> uh, I've definitely eaten too many sour gummy worms at one time on a number of occasions and had my tongue start going numb. I've also eaten like an entire pint of pineapples, like fresh pineapple. And that also will start burning your tongue after a while. The snack that digests you back. Pineapple. The only gummy sort of thing that I've accepted, like been like, yeah, I'll have this, but not frequently was unsour i don't know what they're called but they're sour patch kids but not sour huh i have not heard of those or no it was maybe it's gummy bears that i'm thinking are of. you just thinking of gummy bears <laughs> are you i might be just, thinking of gummy bears are you just thinking Listen, of gummy it's, bears <laughs> it's been a while since i've had anything other than just hard candy oh no i well i know what i'm getting you for christmas don't get me a giant pack of Gummy I'm bears. getting you a 26 pound, $162 gummy worm. Don't get me a 160 pound gummy snake. 160 pound gummy snake? I could get you a 160 pound gummy snake, but I'd have to <laughs> custom make it. Don't get me a giant gummy how, snake. How would I even make that? Oh my gosh. The amount of gelatin I would have to like, not gelatin. Mike, gummy candy's hard to make. You have to get a very specific Mike, heat temperature. Do you happen to remember when I bought that pound, the pound, the Reese's cup that was a pound? Oh, gosh, I didn't remember that until you reminded me just now. I thought that was a Christmas gift. Oh, no, I bought it myself. Why? What about what? What? What about it's, a one? Half of it stayed in the fridge. I couldn't eat half of it. You had to you have to cut slices out of that like it's a pie. I did. <laughs> My father had to help me with the other half. Now I kind of want one of those. Unfortunately, I'm the kind of monster that would eat that entire thing in one sitting. Oh, man. I ate a 
We're getting off topic again. I'll, We're I'll getting you, very I'll off topic. But yeah, no. So that's the kind of person, this child that enjoys his Neko wafers as his reward for helping as a, a clerk at a grocery store. That's the kind of person that ended up founding Bronner's, the Christmas Wonderland. There's uh, one of the other kind of things that it talks about, which if you ever want to go into it, you, you go go to the Bronner's website and down at the bottom, there's a tiny little tab under About Us that's like our story and more. And you can you can dig into like old photos and all kinds of all kinds of strange information. But this man, for Wallace, Christmas was kind of a big deal in his life, in, in his childhood and like his family life and stuff. And that's kind of I, I know we're talking a lot about Christmas, and to be fair, part of that is because this episode's coming shortly after Christmas. Oh, you know, I like trying to time my episodes, right? Anyway, his family like Christmas was a big deal for his family, and one of the things that you know, they had they had all kinds of traditions, like uh, his family had a tradition of hanging a white sheet in front of the tree and that would get removed by a, a quote unquote Christmas angel in the early mornings, which, you know, was the parents way of decorating the tree when no one was looking. And then, you know, it was revealed on Christmas morning in all its glittery ornamented glory, which was a very different tradition than what our family did, which was we kind of made a night of putting the tree up and decorating it. What about you, Billy? What Did you guys have any specific, like, decorating traditions? Uh, when I was younger, we did. We would have we'd have a day where we would get up really early, clean the house, and then put the tree up. Mm-hmm. And then just slowly decorate the tree as the day went on. All right. But quickly, because we were just, we were waking up, opening presents, and then going to my grandmother's, decided to maybe stop erecting the tree that's two times the size of us. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like Christmas traditions kind of died out a little bit all over the place, to be honest. But Wallace Bronner decided, I'm going to bring Christmas to everyone. And he took his kind of his skills that he developed. I keep bringing up the helping his aunt at his clerk at a grocery store, but that really did kind of jumpstart him into an entire world of, you know, retail marketing. And in, let's see, 1954 was when was when Wallace and his wife, Irene, uh, actually constructed their first permanent building in the middle of Frankenmuth. At a at one point, they ended up having they ended up having like three different structures, like three different permanent buildings and installations, which eventually got consolidated all into one super building in 1977, which on the Bronner site is listed as a 45 acre site south of town addressed 25 Christmas Lane. Now, I don't know how all those extra acres got deleted, but probably they just got sold to the city so that they could keep up on, you know, listen, real estate's expensive. That Christmas store is still open. If anybody's got a thing for, you know, Christmas paraphernalia and it's not just like a Walmart for Christmas trees like this thing, this I have been there. Billy, have you ever been to Bronner's? I have not. I've not been. It is an honestly massive retail establishment that has everything you could possibly think of as far as Christmas centric stuff goes. You know, they've got stockings, they've got trees, they've got ornaments, they've got 
tinsel. Like I, I, I could list just a bunch of Christmas things, but you know, if it's if it is some kind of Christmas decoration or Christmas themed item, they have it there. You better believe they have Santa suits. They also have three 17 foot tall Santas outdoors, outdoor the front, out the front front door. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, as as someone who's five four, thinking of a seventeen foot tall Santa, that's almost two stories. Yeah. Do you think it comes to life at night? I hope not. Also, stories of Paul Bunyan might be real. Oh gosh, Paul Bunyan is disguised. Okay, new new deep lore. Paul Bunyan is disguised as a seventeen foot tall Santa statue outside of Bronner's. <laughs> Prove me wrong. I rest my case. It's also a fifteen uh, fifteen foot tall snowman. What is their obsession with giant? Well, I know what their obsession with. Their obsession is the same obsession that's their obsession with Christmas. I mean, also, nothing says, hey, come to our store like three gigantic Santas sitting out front. Oh, well, actually, there is something that says, hey, come to our store more than three gigantic Santas. Gnomes! <laughs> did you know there's a gnome colony living in Frankenmuth? I did not. I'm talking about the, the fantasy creatures. You're talking like a small little area with tiny houses and garden gnomes scattered around yes except it's not a tiny area it is the entirety of frankenmuth yeah i i did in my research come across that it says there are gnomes was adjacent to figurines but not quite mannequin but yeah no 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 there is a so okay so here's the Here's the the split from reality and fantasy. And the the reality of the situation is in the city of Frankenmuth, there are, I mean, I don't even actually know how many total. I want to say 40. It might be 35. 35 little, essentially garden gnomes placed throughout the city of Frankenmuth. They're in shops, they're on street corners, and one of the one of the sort of um attractions the touristy attractions is to go and find these gnomes it's it's a little bit of a scavenger hunt it's not quite uh geocaching which we should do an episode on geocaching oh which by the way we're still gonna try and do the every other week schedule for now we may go to an every week schedule depending on things but probably gonna stick to the every other week Okay, but yes, that's the 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 reality. That's the the real world. Okay, yes, this is to, to take the veil off. It's all a game. It's all an illusion. But now let's think about what this poses for the story of Frankenmuth, because I found some gnome facts, and by gnome facts I mean a definitely very reliable website talking about the Frankenmuth gnomes that couldn't possibly have fictitious information by any means at all. It's definitely a 100% accurate website called ReviewMag.com, which purports that when the, Hmer- when the Marv Herzog Hotel construction began in 2006, they unearthed artifacts. This website is not specific about what these quote-unquote artifacts are. But we are led to believe they are gnome artifacts. And one Teresa Herzog, a friend of the museum, I do not know what the museum is, quote-unquote, asked Matt Bronner, and I did look into this one, there is a Matt Bronner of Bronner and Sons Construction. I don't know if it's related to Wallace Bronner. It's kind of com- confusing. Their little 
family tree. Because basically, Wallace Bronner's dad did work in construction, but I couldn't see any note in Wallace's siblings that were listed of a Ma- Matthew Bronner. I think that the, this Matthew Bronner has no relation. It's probably just a fairly common German last name. But anyway, the construction worker was to take all of the artifacts to the Frankenmuth Historical Association. This is all we know about these mysterious gnome artifacts. By the way, I know it's pronounced gnome. I'm just, I'm just goofing. I know how it's pronounced. But anyway, so the museum director apparently found within these crates, I guess there were wooden crates full of artifacts, uh, several documents, which he sent out for translation by the International Society for the Preservation of Gnome Lore, a definitely real organization. They also, I guess, found a tunneling system that gnomes were using under the along the Cass River, hmm. which seems, seems suspect. How did these gnomes keep an entire tunneling system undisclosed for this long? Where did the gnomes come from? I propose that the gnomes were the reason why the original immigrants party was so fraught with danger as they traveled from Germany. The gnomes didn't want them to take the land. The gnomes were just trying to survive, but you know, they're gnomes. They're catastrophic beings. They're also earth spirits. So I did a little bit of digging into the actual lore behind like gnomes, the mythical creature. And one of the main things that I found is that the term is probably an invention of one Pericles, uh, who was just, you know, one of the, one of your old Greek, one of the old, one of the old Greek dudes. You know, uh, supposedly deriving from the Latin term genomus, which literally translates to earth dweller. It was written in such a way that it's believed that Periclesis meant it as a synonym of a another word, which I can't really pronounce, but I believe is something along the lines of pygmy. Pericles then also classified them as earth elementals. About two spans high. No idea what a span is. It's probably one of the, it's like a pinch of salt, which apparently a pinch of, which tangent, apparently a pinch of salt is an actual measurement. It's not just like, you know, taking a pinch of a material. And that's not a deep lore thing. That's just a mic like, yeah, that's weird. Why are we measuring things in pinches? Why is a pinch an actual measurement? I understand why we're just ignoring measuring, but like, anyway. Apparently, Periclesis describes these creatures as about two spans high and very reluctant to interact with humans, so they're very shy, and they're able to move through solid earth as easily as humans move through air. Apparently, the Ispoggle, or the International Society for the Preservation of Gnome Lore, establishes that gnomes are seven times as strong as a man. Uh, Males are apparently of marrying age at about 200 years old. A gnome's lifespan is around 400 years. I don't know why the Espoggle decides that this is an important thing to establish, but it establishes that uh, a gnome pregnancy lasts for 12 months and birth is always twins, a boy and a girl. Hmm. Personally, I think the Espoggle needs to mind their own business. Uh, And apparently they also love to dance and find occasion to celebrate, which, you know, that's nice. They're jolly people, apparently. But it would make sense to have boat trouble with when you've got earth spirits living in the uh, rafters or hold 
wherever the wherever yeah. like a secret area that you can hide stowaways in would be barrels it's always cargo, barrels cargo hold. cargo hold it's always barrels in the cargo hold they were hiding in the barrels of black powder don't ask why a cargo ship had barrels full of black powder that's not important what's important is they had earth spirits on their boat and it caused them to crash on numerous occasions seven times as strong as a man though yeah average human lifting strength let's see in the 198 pound weight category the standard for an intermediate lifter which is someone who's trained for a few years is 215 pounds darn outliers raising the average for all the rest of us this is why teachers grade on a curve (laughs) anyway let's just multiply that by seven so if a gnome trained a little bit apparently they'd be able to reasonably lift 1500 pounds they're almost reaching Minecraft Steve They're levels. They're almost reaching Minecraft Steve levels. Do you think they live in the 17-foot Santa Claus statue? No, they live underground. They're earth spirits. That's where all the tunnels came from. Yeah. Also, I'd assume that the 17-foot tall Santas are blow-up Santas. And not no. hollow statues. They must be They're hollowed not. statues. Hollow- Hang on, now we have to look into that. It does appear to be just a statue. Yeah, that's that's not that is not inflatable. That is a that's just a big old big old ceramic boy. Apparently, the 17 foot tall Santa is made out of fiberglass. Yeah, it probably would have to be at that size. Well, it wouldn't have yeah. to be have to be, but man, when the winds start blowing and that thing comes tumbling down, it's got to be made out of something. It is. Well, here. no, 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 because it's just held up by gnomes. <laughs> They can lift like 1,500 pounds. Surely they can handle one fiberglass Santa. The uh, the wind starts going too strong and one of them crawls out of the boot and braces it. Oh, do you think they could pilot the, the 17-foot Santa <laughs> like the flippin' Statue of Liberty at the end of Ghostbusters 2? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. So you know how garden gnomes are like protector things, right? Yeah. Do you think the gnome colony is protecting Frankenmuth? Oh, that maybe. But okay, so here's my counter question, because that kind of that changes my theory a little bit on the gnomes that hitched a ride from Germany over to Frankenmuth. What are they protecting the Frankenmuth people from? Hmm, that's a good question. Now I'm concerned. It would have to be some sort of super not uh, maybe not super I, I think it would have to be a supernatural force right because like it's not that the gnomes are incapable of inter- interacting with the non-supernatural world but they're shy they don't like being around humans so it would have to be something that would either directly offend gnomes for just from their sensibilities as as creatures like you know the way cats and dogs well they don't actually hate each other yeah. but you know cats and dogs or it would have to be a specific they like the frankenmuth people specifically cuz otherwise why would they travel with the frankenmuth people and it has to be something that would come from germany cuz that like that also would have had to transfer from germany because a, a part of me was thinking, and I, I didn't love this train of thought because it's a little uh, it's a little colonizer of me, but I was thinking about the supernatural forces uh, of the Native American people because there were definitely, we haven't gotten into it too much, but um, their, their missionary work was definitely a little invasive of the Native American people. There were several tribes in the area that were that were uh, noted 
in the history of Frankenmuth. Now, to be fair, I was looking, I was digging through the history of Frankenmuth, and it sounds like the Native American tribes were moving out anyway, somewhat, because yeah. like there were food was becoming a little more scarce in that area, and they were kind of a nomadic people anyway, so they were they were moving a little closer to the river and and down down the way a bit. Uh, that being said, I'm sure this was also told from the perspective of the colonizers, so eh, question marks. But anyway, this has to be a threat from German of of Germanic origin. And I don't mean Germans are bad guys. I just mean, you know, they've got their own mythos. I propose kobolds. Kobolds. Oh, you're probably not wrong. Because they are, they're originally from Greece. They eventually, the legend eventually took root in Germanic. Yeah, they did take, they did take root in Germanic. And they're fire creatures. They're often depicted as uh, impotent, thieving, drool, idle, mischievous, gnome dwarfs. They're like anti-gnomes. So it just, it fits too well. Oh, gosh. The gnomes are protecting Frank from and the from kobolds. The oh, no, that means there's kobolds hidden in Frankenmuth or nearby. Oh, but yeah, that would make perfect sense. That would explain like the, the, the captain getting drunk. The kobolds spiked his tea or something. That could explain all kinds of the, like the crashes and stuff that they went into. I don't know yeah. exactly how how powerful they are individually, but maybe in a it, as maybe when uh, when banded together in large enough numbers, maybe they could influence the weather. Maybe the Klabauhermann, which I oh good oh god oh goodness can't pronounce that word, is a creature from the beliefs of fishermen and sailors of Germany's north coast, the Netherlands. In the Baltic Sea, and may represent a third type of kobold, or possibly a different spirit that's merged with kobold traditions. According to these traditions, they the the Klabotermans live on ships and are generally beneficial to the crew. Okay, so that kind of well, okay, wait, hang on now. Maybe there were these water spirits on the ship, and they didn't take kindly to having the gnomes invading their territory. The sight of a club Otterman is an ill ill omen, and in the 19th century, it was the most feared sight among sailors. According to one tradition, they only appear to those about to die. Another story recorded by Ellet claims that club Otterman only show itself if the ship is doomed to sink. Club Otterman are easily angered. Their ire manifests in pranks such as tangling ropes and laughing at sailors who shirk their chores. It's perfect! The gnomes are fighting the kobolds! We've done it! I knew there was deep lore in here somewhere. We've cracked the case. There's a colony of kobolds living near Frankenmuth that is at war with the gnomes. And the gnomes are posted around Frankenmuth as uh, watchers? This would be the Flippin', best. It's just those street artists that, like, are statues. Just sitting sitting and waiting. Well, no, they're, they're on lookout. They're... You, you know what I'm talking about. Those street artists that like paint themselves and, yeah. and their clothes and stuff to look exactly like, you know, like metal statues. And then they stand perfectly still. That's what these gnomes are doing, except nobody realizes it because, you know, they're earth spirits. So they're already like really good at staying perfectly still if they want to. I think we've done it. We have we have found the deepest lore. We have found the deepest lore and at just shy of a hour of recording which is perfect length for an episode you know i didn't expect this episode to come together oh it's not that i didn't expect it to come together but man i had my doubts it was 
It was a rather interesting It was topic. an interesting episode to research, and I'm curious if we can find other cities that are, like, that have dense, you know, lore potential or deep lore to them. Frankenmuth, Frankenmuth wanna... is already a really eccentric city, so it's, it's, ooh, we could do Hell, Michigan, to be honest, but. I was just about to say, we could, I kind of want to look into how Mich- Hell, Michigan was I, named. I will throw that on the topics list. Oh, yeah, we should do, oh, yeah, there's a couple different episodes that I've, or uh, episodes, uh, topics that I've added to the list that I don't know if you've seen. One is super glue, which I think would be an interesting topic to do research on. Another one is going to be an interesting one. And I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have enough to, to research on it, or if it's going to be one of those, I think it's going to be one of those where it's going to like, our main topic is going to be one thing. And then we're going to branch into another thing. Kind of like how this one went. Yeah. Apparently in the Italian mafia, door mice are a delicacy. Door yes. mice? Little, you know, the little like field mice looking, little tiny soft mice looking thing. If you are unsure what door why mice look you, like. Why would you want to eat I don't them? know. They're adorable and I, I love them. One. They're very soft, friendly they're looking s- things. They're so small. Yeah, they're very tiny. Like I'm looking at, I'm looking at one that's like sitting next to a bundle of black Uh-huh. They're really adorable, tiny he's little so mice. Sh- he's so small. He's a pocket mouse. Yeah, they're door mice. They're great. They're bad to have in your house because they'll just poop everywhere. But you know, hey, that's having mice in your house. Ah, <laughs> I scrolled down a little bit and found a picture of a cooked one. Oh. On some toast. Oh. With some lettuce as a garnish. But uh, yeah, there's actually been some issues where uh, one a restaurant that was a front for the Italian mafia was uh, discovered due to the, you know, due to the fact that they were selling. They had a lot of door mice there. Thank you all for sticking with us throughout this fairly large hiatus. We are back. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed the the new intro outro music. I didn't get quite the angle that I wanted to with it. I wanted to hire somebody or commission somebody rather, but I frankly I don't I don't know how to find people to commission for art or for art for music. So if anybody's got suggestions, I would love to hear it. Also, if you have topic ideas, we need topic ideas. We're not out of topic ideas, but uh, well's getting a little dry. I don't want to resort to video game lore. That is very, very dug into. You can connect with us for updates and uh, providing topic suggestions on our Twitter page at deeplorable.com. No, at Deplorable. Yeah, it's just at Deplorable. That's our Twitter page. <laughs> what were you going to say, Billy? I was going to say uh, about the video games. It pretty dug into, and depending on the game that we research into, it would be a lot of just sitting here and talking about minor details and geometry. Yeah, the market can be kind of limited. <laughs> Dark Souls. <laughs> you can also get in touch with us uh, through our email, which is... Gmail. No, deplorablecontact no. at gmail.com. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, I remembered it first that time. You remembered it first that it's, it's really not an impressive feat. I definitely... Usually the one who says that. Do you have anything else to add, Billy? No. No. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, And we will see you next time. Bye.
Yeah, I definitely said I was, I you definitely, I, I'm supposed to close out with like the, I'm like the bastie. You go like, I'm Billy Staples. I definitely forgot that part.